2: Feel like
1: Kobe in the fourth quarter. This is the Dane Moore NBA podcast brought to you by ZoneCoverage.com and the Zone Coverage Podcast Network. It is Tuesday afternoon and Ryan Saunders was just officially named the head coach of the Minnesota Timberwolves. Um, we're recording this shortly after that press conference and had a little bit of time for those... Uh, those quotes and the the reality of the situation uh, kind of coming to a head. And it was, it was interesting to hear Gerson Roses talk about Saunders uh, as being his guy. He'd kind of like dodged that question quite a bit. So I'm here with Charlie Johnson and Tom Schreier. I think we're just going to dive deep into what was like sick. I was telling you guys was like 60 minutes of quotes from cat was there. Wiggins was there along with a bunch of other players. So a whole bunch happened today at the Ryan Saunders press conference. We're going to try and get to as as much of that as possible. I guess to start, what I, I don't know when you're there, you don't really know what is being like publicly put out there. So what what did, what did you guys even see initially from from that press conference?
2: The, the biggest line was about Flip, and I think I was curious how he would handle this. That because again, that's like when I started covering the team was Flip came back and this kind of weird. Like this is probably the one guy who can drag this team out of the sure. mud that that uh they entered after he left um and it and it's obviously kind of the elf in the room in the sense that I really believe other teams would look at Ryan Saunders and go. I maybe even just put him in a place to kind of groom him to be the next head coach. Maybe he wouldn't get the opportunity right now. He probably gets it here obviously. Cause a, he's a huge contrast from Tom Thibodeau, like Tom Thibodeau, by the way, all over TV, like ESPN. <laughs> I think it's like Stephen A. Smith gets the most airtime and then Tom Thibodeau. <laughs> <laughs> so and like, you like, whenever you see him, you're like, yeah, man, you, this is kind of the exact opposite. He was the outsider, you know, Ryan's the insider, Minnesota guy, Chicago guy, or whatever, sure. Boston guy. Um, kind of gruff. You know, he's the, the, you know, forceful in kind of the way he he manages. And Ryan seems to be more kind of the person you'd want running the Rosas model where it seems like he'll be willing to delegate and say, yeah, run the offense. Run the defense. Teach my guys to shoot, whatever the, the roles the coaches are. Um, so I think, I think the way he addressed it was great because it, Seemed like what you would do. It seemed like the answer you were expecting, but a lot more emotion, especially because he went through it last year. than I kind of expected again because he's processed this and I think it was just cool as someone who grew up kind of rooting for flip and also covered him for a year here.
3: I think the biggest thing I noticed, I wasn't super tuned in all day, but just the biggest thing that I saw was the discussion around how legitimate this process was that um, interviewed a bunch of outside candidates and ultimately landed on Ryan. I think a lot of people wondering whether the decision to hire Ryan was was made from above Rosas' head or whether that was was his decision alone, and I think that was the conversation that I saw happening throughout the day.
1: Right, and I think as... The tomorrow goes on or throughout the week a lot a lot more of these quotes are going to come out and what I was particularly excited about today well i I'm not emotionless and don't acknowledge the flip angle of it and that being a whole huge story in and of itself, but for me, at least, I feel like we kind of went through that in January and came to the reality of this Hollywood script that uh like the best coach in franchise history' son is now somehow coaching this team through a, a really weird turn of events that got us here. But I guess I'm more, I'm more looking at it as there's a ton of question marks to me that entering today surrounded the franchise. You know, Who is Gerson Rosas? To what degree is he going to work with Ryan Saunders? How are they going to make this team change? Because mm-hmm. what we know about the Timberwolves over the past two and a half years is they didn't work under Tom Thibodeau, I've been through it. The process of hiring him made sense at the time, but that again, it just didn't work. And, and now they're, they're going in a completely different direction with a 40 year old president of basketball operations, a 33 year old head coach, that make them the youngest tandem in NBA history. And that's going to, that's going to It leaves a lot, a lot of room for, you know, interpretation and, uh, creativity. And I don't know, there's, there's a ton of the platitudes about alignment and modern MBA and this and that. But today it was, it was really interesting to hear them, you know, go through what that, what that means to them. And Ryan is, is loyal to Thibodeau and, you know, has pretty much every time he's ever talked about changes the team is going to make the opportunity. He's, he's quick to thank Tibbs for for bringing them here. But really today when they started talking about the modern NBA, the type of game they want to play, if you parse through the words and you understand what the team was doing under Tibbs, you're going to have a very different product now. That doesn't mean it's certainly a, well, a way better team, a way better infrastructure, but it's going to be different. And I think you can find excitement in that because we know the Thibodeau process, the Thibodeau scheme did not work. Mm-hmm. It, I, it had a ceiling while he was here of the eighth seed in the Western Conference. I'm skeptical it could have ever been much higher than that. I just think there's – given the way the NBA has evolved, there is a limit to what Tom Thibodeau could have done given his beliefs. Mm-hmm. Um, now, Ryan doesn't have the pedigree that, that Tibbs does. And Rosas doesn't have the pedigree of maybe other presidents – that said, I think, I think through their creativity and through a real commitment to what is on the roster rather than just preconceived notions about what works, they're going to cater this team towards Cat. And for me, it was a real swift shift of the narrative towards this is Cat Wiggins' team, and I'm not saying they're disrespectful to Wiggs at all, but this is Cat's team now, and, and they, they acknowledge that. Cat said so himself today. And, and that's, that's a step. That's an important step towards winning Absolutely for, for this group and maximizing him Yeah, on, on both ends of the floor. And and that was something Rosas was really um, intent on focusing on was that it's not just playing faster. It's not just shooting threes. It's about the defense. Mm-hmm. And today while I was writing my column reacting to the press conference, I, I guess I had forgot this somewhere along the way, but. Cat has every team. Cat's been on under every single coach. Now three, the team has performed better defensively with him off the court versus on the floor. So it makes sense for Gerson Rosas and for Ryan Saunders to focus on that, and particularly as it pertains to Cat. So we can get into a couple, uh, some of those what those things are. But isn't that kind of what we've been talking about? Makes sense for this group.
3: Well, absolutely. And you think about it both on the floor and off of the floor, at least I do, throughout the Tom Thibodeau era, there was an obsession, a rightful obsession among the fan base that this, first of all, this offense needs to run through Carl Anthony Towns, Mm -hmm. and it didn't when Tom Thibodeau was here. And it seems that it will now. It did under Ryan Saunders at the end of last year and based on Gerson Rosas' comments, he, he... it would seem that he'll implement a similar style of play. But beyond that, it was important that this team would finally recognize that Carl Anthony Towns is its future, is its leader, mm-hmm. and is its antagonist because that's important for him. Like Both because it seems like he's that kind of person who benefits from kind of having their tires pumped and totally. and, and, and having compliments flung their way. I think that was really important that from the front office to, to even at the end of last season, players like Derrick Rose and players like Taj Gibson talking explicitly about how this team is now Carl Anthony Towns' is, and I think that can go a long way or at least it can help to to start things off on the right foot. I think, uh, t- so
1: today Kat talked for a while and I, I, I wasn't covering the team his rookie season so I wasn't ever around him in person then but since I have been around the team in different capacities, I think today was one of the most confidence the the most confidence cat emitted out of any other time, obviously last year was really weird, yeah but
3: but that's I, good, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, I think he's had extensive conversations with both Ryan and Gerson about you know that they are going to have this team go through him, yep, and not that that's that doesn't just mean like crowning him, it means you know working with him to make some changes to do things differently. But that—that's just a obvious logical step, and probably the biggest misstep Tibbs had was he believed in showing Cat the way through Jimmy, through Taj, and through those guys, and through just "quote unquote" winning. Whereas Ryan and Gerson are saying, "You are the way." Mm-hmm. Um, what they do, you know, from here is going to be interesting. This is just the first move: hiring Ryan. Um, Gerson said today that you don't. Know, we have to. We have to sign better players. We have to draft
3: better players. There's. He said that. I need to go get defenders. Can't defend right now. Um, that's that's interesting in and of itself. That his focus wasn't scheme or anything like that. It was we need better players. Yeah, which was. I think that's
1: right. It, so, I th- I think Ryan more talked about scheme. He said openly with defense, there's going to be more switching. We're going to move away. From he just said we're going to defend pick and rolls we're going to defend screens with two guys
3: mm.
1: and what we know with Tibbs is Tibbs' scheme was this is painting very broadly they defended they were willing to defend that with three with three defenders and that leads to when it breaks down wide open corner threes more than anything else because you have the guy coming in from the corner Ryan explicitly said today we do not want our man to be leaving the corner anymore we want to be controlling the, the point of attack with just the defenders who are there. That's how going can work perfectly every time. He should have done that during the regular season. He didn't. The defense stunk mm-hmm. when Ryan Saunders was in charge. But if you can put in a process for change and have a whole offseason, I think there's 11 guys here today who are actually working on those things. You start that now, it makes sense that you could see a fundamentally different defense next season, that's...
2: That's a big step in the right direction. I just want to take a quick step back. I think um, one of the positives is we know who Ryan is. you know we we obviously know the the connection to Flip and kind of the old wolves. We know we have kind of a half season sample size, so it's nice that you can get right down to business. I think as someone who didn't see the press conference and is trying to gauge like I always kind of step step back and say, what is kind of the overall message they're trying to?" send here with when flip came here was sell the program he's like i have a plan and this is a team kevin love came out and said right and to yahoo what's the plan <laughs> why why is like michael beasley here right <laughs> and he's he's like i have a plan and this is what we're gonna do with kg it was like the wolves are back this is the wolves that you remember like k i mean they they traded thaddeus young to get him and a big part was we're gonna have kg out here Face the Timberwolves, at least temporarily. Bring energy back in the building because he's here. With Tibbs, I felt like it was this rush to win. I remember the first words out of his mouth was like, might as well get started. Mm-hmm. And there was kind of this confidence, as as you've written, that his old system would work <laughs> no matter what, right? Um, with Jimmy, it was kind of the new team, new era. They had just rebranded. It's in the rotunda he's doing crazy things like bringing a football and giving out his cell phone number, right? And there was kind of this, like, in your imagination, you're like, maybe this is what they need to change. So so what do you think this is? That's what, sitting there, what was your, because I was like, I've heard a couple things. I've heard kind of justifying the hire, that the process was real and kind of involved everyone who was interviewed. I've heard kind of the program selling kind of what their plans are. I've also kind of, part of me was like, it's kind of funny that they're doing this. Like, are they just celebrating Ryan in some sense? Like that he's the, he's the head coach and you're removing the interim tag or was it something else? Because like, this is an opportunity for them to almost get to what you're talking about is basketball.
1: Yeah, I I think. And so I was there for not the, there's obviously more of the celebration when it's on television. And, and you know, there's some of that acknowledging that he is flip son, but I think, I don't think, Ryan wanted that to be the message. I, I think he, I think he wanted to be the message that we're going to get better, like, and that that's what his dad would want.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: It, the team's been a joke. I mean, for for so long, it it became a whole new type. Even though they got better, they st- remained a joke, in a different Thibodeauian sort of way. Like, the message today, and which is consistent from the Rose's press conference, whatever that was two weeks ago, is let it's, it's time to stop
2: effing around and like let's just do stuff smart. He's like contender, what was it? Contender and world class organization mm-hmm. or something like that. Yeah, and he used I mean, for me if I'm just
1: being honest, like some of those terms are kind of like let's let's rather than just putting one word on it or a phrase like let's yeah. let's go into that and, and he has more. And I I believe I believe that they are going to put together a process to attempt to do that. Whereas even if you want to go back to Kevin McHale or Tom Thibodeau, I think you just inherently when you're somebody who's from a different era, you're more willing to skip steps in the name of what has worked for you before. And with Rosas, and I think with Ryan too, it's like, no, let's, let's look at why we're, we are worse than a lot of teams right now and why historically we've been a lot worse. It's been poor execution on every single level of the organization. They seem committed to trying to do that through recognizing that player development is huge in this league. And particularly when you're in a small market and you're, you're capped out and you don't have this, the flexibility to just like cross your fingers and hope Kevin Durant comes to sign with you. Like that's not an option here. (laughs) You, you gotta, you gotta make it happen in yourself. That's the reality of working for the Minnesota Timberwolves. So, they're putting the pieces in place to do that. Mm-hmm. And and that seems wise to me. What's gonna happen? I mean, what it's gonna be, and they've said it. It's gonna be actions over words. We're gonna see, but I can't I can't say I I leave my conversations with Rosas or Saunders at any point with a sentiment other than like, we're gonna try and be smart about this.
3: Well, it it almost sounds like as you kind of listed off those eras, Tom, there was always a distraction. Like we know we suck, but KG's back. Mm-hmm. So come check it out. And now it's almost like finally they're they're going to say, no, the, the focus now isn't on the distraction. It's on the fact that we suck and and improving that fact. Mm-hmm. Which is, I don't know why it just comes
1: to mind is Derek Rose there too, which is like, That'll kind of be an interesting barometer of how much they want to do that because I think, and I I, I would say I'm comparatively pro Derek Rose, but there's an element of if they do bring Derek Rose back, that it's about, you know, selling tickets and selling the brand, Mm -hmm. um, that, you know, that'll kind of be interesting to look at. And what, what is, what exactly is it that you're committed to? Yeah. Um, and and how much autonomy does Gerson Rosas have to enact that today? He was very clear in 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 what he said, and I know some people won't believe it, but that he said my nothing was clouded. I had full autonomy to make all of these decisions here. So I have the full the full quote well, here. While somewhere. you're pulling
2: that up, I think it's worth saying, you know, Krasinski had this masterpiece on the process written in the way that he can, where it's like he gets hyper specific as they like. Didn't eat they ate lasagna, not whatever (laughs) they they usually cook or whatever, the hamburgers, right? But um it'd be to be fair, the wolves would do this, but like it'd be weird to go through this like massive, what seemed like I guess the only hesitation I had with that process is maybe it's too many cooks in the kitchen, but this massive, like, we're gonna talk to everybody and kind of think outside the box and then like have another process for the coach. It's gonna be separate. But I think that when I read that, I was like. That is actually what I think you guys are getting at with what you just said and what is changing with the Wolves. It's exactly like I don't hate the idea of bringing KG in, getting everyone excited again, if something, if you build off of that. Mm-hmm. And for obvious reasons, you know, with flips passing, it's really hard to – you have to see that in context, I guess. But the Jimmy Butler thing too, it's like he is a great player. But it's, it's easy to, you know, when you see the trade go down, you're like this is exciting. It's draft day and the Wolves are actually like – the most relevant team right. however but you know i think everyone's first thought is like didn't he just like piss everybody off in chicago <laughs> and it's hard like it, you know it's hard even at thinking academically to be in the rotunda with the new you know and with the freaking cell phone thing yep and like it's that thought gets shot way back in the you know in your head and mm-hmm. i think what's nice is you guys did this naturally even just in your discussion we got right past you know like okay, interim takes off, what are they going to do? And I think it seems like they are at least aligned in that thinking that, yeah, let's fix this instead of like, let's just kind of do something to get people excited again. Yeah, and the Derrick Rose thing is interesting because he's his own brand that Mm -hmm. comes in here with all the controversy. People love him, hate him, whatever. I also think it's funny that the team advertises him, right? You walk through the Skyway in the Target Center and it's – He's on the season ticket pack. And yeah, and all that for next stuff. Year. And so,
1: I get that for some degree, too. Like, they are running a business. Like
2: He's yeah. also an exciting player when he plays yeah. and is a sixth man. People right. get, you know, I wrote a little piece on him, and people are like, oh, you know, like, I don't know how what you're seeing. You saw it in the playoffs the first year he was here. Totally. He's fast, you yeah. know? I mean, he, he is. He still has that.
1: So this is what Rosa said. I can confidently say 100% there was no clouding going on in terms of, of the decision. It's my job. It's my job and my role to make hard decisions. And if Ryan wasn't the best option for us, we would have the best candidate here. <clears throat> so that's saying that – I mean, he's going on record saying yeah. it. And people don't I, – I know people don't believe that. Mm-hmm. But he's going on record and saying that and that it wasn't – he went on to say he would not put those guys, particularly Chris Finch is who's someone he's close with. He goes that he wouldn't put him through some sort of fake – process if there wasn't a purpose to it was the word that that Rosa's used today. So I don't know. I mean, rather than for me it's like rather than dwelling on the the you know, going through is he worth it or is he not worth it did Glenn say like let's just talk about let's just talk about that he is the guy. Well and yeah. And let's focus on what he what he did last year and what can be different now. I just feel like that's I acknowledge that he's the son of Flip Saunders and that nepotism is rampant in the world, particularly in jobs
2: that pay you millions of dollars. Sorry. But let's just touch on that real briefly. Cause that obviously is a, a big theme for a lot of people. I've said it before, but when he goes outside the country club and maybe you just make better hires, but Condon Tibbs were like the craziest, most ridiculous heiress in Timberwolves basketball. Right. And did not work out obviously. I think there is some sense in bring Rosas who's completely outside the realm of this kind of country club, give him the most power, but maybe for continuity's sake, let's, yeah. let's have a coach that was there last year and was well, on the bench. That, that's what I wrote
1: today is I, I doubt that in Rosas heart of hearts, he believes Ryan Saunders is one of the 30 best coaches in the NBA. What I do believe is that that number is not that much bigger than 30 of where he actually ranks him. And that Rosas sees that that gap between, if you want to call it like 52 and 30 is made up for by continuity, by the fact that he has relationships with his players, by the fact that he is 33 and the word people are using is moldable. I think with Ryan, it was clear to him that he has someone where it's like, Hey, I'm running the basketball operations and I know how I want the team to be coached. I believe you're the person who will coach the team that way. Is that, is that too much power? Maybe, maybe, maybe the Pobo shouldn't have all that, but I think that's what Gerson Rose's thought process was much more than it was. Glenn just told him he has to do this. And all the past couple of weeks were fake. I don't believe it was, it was completely fake.
3: Well, to piggyback on that, I also don't think it's like this contrarian viewpoint to be skeptical about this. I think most people are yeah. on some level skeptical about the fact that Ryan Saunders was hired to be to be the head coach by this outsider, Gerson Rosas. But and for me, this is really tricky to parse because you just don't know. And it, yeah, it's it's fun to speculate, but it's just really not that fruitful. But it seems like there there are two options. One is that there was this farcical search where. Glenn Taylor told Gerson Rosas, like, look, I'm going to hire you, but I kind of need you to bring back Ryan Saunders. Like, that's just how how it's going to have to go. And Gerson Rosa said, OK, I'm going to, you know, interview these people for assistant roles or just to kind of get their name in the news mm-hmm. and then move on. And if, if that's the case, that sucks. And if that's the case, I hope that was discussed before Gerson Rosas was hired because it it would seem to be it would make me nervous about what happened with him in Dallas. He he left the Dallas Mavericks role sure. after yeah, three months he did, yeah. because he didn't feel like he had the autonomy he needed. So that's a possibility. The other possibility is that genuinely Gerson Rossos was given autonomy as he said, as Glenn Taylor has said, as John Krasinski, easily the most reliable reporter in this market, has said. And Gerson Rossos went out and he said, all right, there are candidates who are more... Have, have a better resume than Ryan Saunders. And that's that's not to say that Ryan doesn't have any resume because he no, does. No, but that's 100% true. But yeah, so there are these candidates out here, and, and maybe I have a better understanding of what their philosophies are, and that, and that would give them a leg up. And genuinely, that's kind of what I hope for. I've said it on previous podcasts. I hope he goes and gets his guy. And it was difficult for me to imagine that when all was said and done, Ryan Saunders could be his guy. But... After everything that has happened and all the reporting that's been done, I think it gets underplayed, this fact that Ryan Saunders has a relationship, such a, a, you know, apparently positive relationship with all these players. Because we saw it with Tom Thibodeau that you can be a mastermind, you can be a revolutionary or whatever, but part of the battle is is communicating a message and convincing people that that message is worth following. And Tom Thibodeau. Particularly 20 somethings. Yeah. Young 20 somethings who, who aren't maybe all that self motivated, Mm -hmm. but. (laughs)
1: Uh,
2: Who are you talking
3: about? (laughs) I'm kidding. (laughs) So, so maybe it was, maybe he looked at it and said, this is a huge deal that Ryan Saunders has these relationships with people. I, I kind of think that gets overblown. Like, Oh, any coach can come in. It's more important that they're that they're a basketball mind that they you know know how to help the team win. But that's not totally true. You need to be able to communicate a message, and that has to be some large portion, whether it's twenty five percent or fifty percent of what Gerson Rosas was evaluating. Ryan Saunders did check those boxes, so that's something that I've just come around on a little bit more that that personality fit. Even though the cynic in me wants to say, who cares? Get somebody who who knows their X's and O's, who, who who knows what to do, who knows how to evolve. But that's not all there is. And I think that that's just worth yeah. mentioning. So, so I have, I think, an
1: important piece of context that came out today in relation to that, that I think almost acknowledges that Ryan doesn't even necessarily need to be the person putting in the overarching scheme here. Rosa said that they w- are going to hire both an offensive coordinator and a defensive both. coordinator
0: both.
3: and a game plans. Manager. So Ryan offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator and game plans. So yes. he wouldn't be either the OC or the DC. So uh,
1: that's why I asked, I asked Ryan and Ryan goes, that's still in process. We're working through. We're going to have good coaches. I asked Rosas that. And he said, I, I'm going to read it here because I don't want to misquote him.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: He's going to have input. In, he's going to be the program He's going to be the leader of the program and he's going to have input in every area. So, for me, we're going to get the best offensive coordinator. We're going to get the best defensive coordinator. We're going to get the best player development coordinator. I think, cool. I think that means there's going to be an offensive coordinator, defensive yeah, yeah. coordinator. And that, if, Ryan, if Ryan's weaknesses fall in the lack of experience in, in X's and O's and game plan management, and his strengths are in relationships, then it does make sense that you would accentuate those strengths by letting him be the the coordinator of all the personalities and this guy who gets along with pretty much everyone and then hire your version of Jeff Bizdelic, Mm -hmm. who was the Rockets defensive coordinator these past few years, to put in a defensive scheme. Or Tibbs back in the day with the Celtics. Like That's what made both of those teams make huge jumps on that side of the ball. And I thought – my assumption kind of was that Ryan was going to be the offensive guy. Yeah, me too. And that they were going to get a defensive coordinator. But why not? It's, it's an area to spend on that doesn't uh, – it doesn't count against your salary cap. Also cheaper Ra- than a player. Che- way, way cheaper yeah. than a player. Well, and player contracts fall into a whole different sort of silo because you need to spend 90% of the salary cap, blah, blah, blah. Like the other expenses when it comes to shaping a franchise are how much – how much you're willing to go over the salary cap, how much luxury tax you're willing to pay, how much you're willing to pay your front office, how much you're willing to pay your coaches. That's where it gets baseball style where you can spend Mm -hmm. whatever it is you want. So to me, this is not, this is encouraging that Glenn is appearing willing to invest fully in not only player development, but game plan development. And given how stuck this team is, that, Makes the most
2: sense. Yeah. Tom? You're going to hate me. That's why I hesitated. Uh-oh. But what I'm thinking here, I see a parallel with the, the Minnesota Twins, right? That they brought in two forward-thinking people from successful organizations that were ana- analytically mined to pull a team that was becoming very, very unpopular out of the mud, right? And in that case, they just came out and said you have to take Molitor right? He's the St. Paul guy, analytically minded and all this. It's funny what they did, though, with Baldelli, who's younger. So 37. So not that different than Ryan. All those lineups and stuff are planned ahead of time, I think series by series. And I think they've taken a lot of kind of some of this decision making off his plate. And maybe that allows him to spend more time being like, yeah, we lost to the Astros 11-0. We can't fret about this. Cause I'm not going to like just blow this season because of this or whatever, or yeah, you're struggling at the plate. Let's sit and talk about it and get you going here at the, you know, your third at bat or something like that. And I think if you talked about Ryan's strengths and it certainly is, it's the people skills. He knows basketball. I mean, he, well, and he's not, I feel like maybe some of that came off as
1: pejorative in the sense that it's like he couldn't handle being an offensive or defensive coordinator. I think he could. And I think he's been asked to be that for other teams, So he has the qualifications to do that. I think at 33 years old with not a lot of experience, he doesn't have the bandwidth to both be the program manager and the offensive coordinator. So I think that's where it makes sense to delegate some of that
2: out. Yeah. And I guess where I'm going with that and and, yeah, we should be careful that He certainly like knows basketball very Mm -hmm. well. Um, If he's able to, he trusts the people that are hired and, and kind of delegates correctly. With, with Tibbs at times, I was like, first of all, you're overreacting to everything. And that just like, that is a ridiculous way to live. Like, I don't know how his voice never went out or he didn't just like collapse at some point. Half the time it was like the sixth defender. You're like, how, how is he allowed that far into the court or whatever? <laughs> and I think it's hard to then tell your team we need to be focused on the process and not focus on the referees. And, and yeah, they went on a 10-0 run, but we're still up in the game or whatever. And I think... Ryan can focus on this obviously through the lens of someone who understands the X's and O's and understands the role of each player on the team or whatever. But I think if this is done correctly, it's nice for him to like not be so focused on the, the minutia as Tibbs was and kind of present himself. Even if he's a little nervous, like we've lost three games straight to be like, my guys will take care of this. The process will work. I need at this point to be, the guy being like, everyone settle down so we don't lose 456 straight or something like that.
3: I think on on some level, I, I'm about I'm of two minds on that. On some level, we're moving toward a world, it seems like, where people are starting to to more focus on those relationships and how they can connect with people to bring the best out of them rather than just instructing them to, to do better. So in that sense, it, it, it's smart to have somebody who's kind of a program manager, as you put it, Dane. My other brain is saying, wait, wait, wait. So the coach isn't going to coach? No, I, and that, so, that's totally fair. I'm so, glad you brought that up. Yeah. But I also think it's, it's again, difficult because we don't know what's going on. And as I thought about this coaching search, I just couldn't help from coming back to who am I to decide whether Ryan Saunders or Juwan Howard or Chris Finch is yeah. a better coach? Who am I to decide that? I don't know anything besides Ryan, I don't know anything about those other two guys. I know Finch is an offensive guy. I mean, I know some little things, but most of what you know comes from reporters and, and how that's framed is based on their relationships with reporters. And so, This is a good point. You just don't know. Yeah, and that's what, like, so, so somebody on, on
1: Twitter said to me today, like, are you guys going to be recording a podcast after the press conference? It's like, yes. And they're like, can you go into who the – who the defensive, like, the other coaches you'd like to see hired are. And I'm like, I'm just a guy. Like, I don't well, know. Yeah, like, I, yeah. I
3: don't have. Except for the ones who have been head coaches.
1: Yeah, yeah, where you have, like, a little bit of perspective. But even then, it's like, like I, I don't think I don't think Tom Thibodeau would be a bad defensive coordinator no way. in the NBA right now. And I think Tom Thibodeau is a bad head coach. So it, it's. There's like an element of this where we need to like, you need the, the smart thing to do is to put trust in Gerson Rosas who has worked in the NBA is uniquely familiar with all of like, he knows who Chris Finch is. He knows, he knows the, the, the track record of all these coaches, what their strengths and weaknesses are. He can also talk to them and, and ask them, what is your, what is your game plan? What, how, how do you see the NBA moving in this way? Are there other paths we can take I can I can sit here and point out like as a reporter or a basketball viewer we can watch what has happened and talk about what did and didn't work. It's a lot harder for us to say this is what you should do and and look forward at at what can
2: change, Tom, you'd see yeah, like you yeah, want I'm, to say. Yeah, I I'm 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 <laughs> geared up. I did think about this though. In terms of who should be, I think it's it's hard to ask because the best person may be someone we don't know. If you had that power, though, what what kind of defense are you kind of looking for here? And what w- are you running Houston's offense? Or is there something you think would be given maybe not the yeah. current current roster, but what you could do with the current. roster?
1: No, I mean, I get and that's something we do know. We, we we've we watched and rewatched a ton of the Timberwolves. And and interestingly enough, and this I think people forget this, that the Timberwolves play defense very different the Jimmy Butler year as they did this past season. Even when Tibbs was here, mm-hmm. like, and particularly when it's coming, even before Covington, like Tibbs did acknowledge that the way they were playing defense in 2017, 18, which made him like what the 25th defense or something like that in the league didn't work. And we saw from the get go, a the beginning of an evolution of the way they wanted to defend. And that was more on a really simple level switching. And I like to put it as more like North South aggression as, as towards like attacking the the screen as kind of like the most basic way I think I can, I can put it. And you saw that under Thibodeau and you saw that more under Thibodeau when Robert Covington came into the equation. And then with Ryan, you saw them try and hold on to some of those things and change some things. But one Ryan wasn't and isn't an elite doesn't appear to be an elite defensive coach. So they had breakdowns in that way. They weren't able to clog the clog the holes that were coming up and there was a ton of injuries and chaos with the team that made it very hard for him to be a good defensive coach. So what I see from what I have noticed is the things that worked best. And the best time this team has played defense maybe ever, at least in the past 15 years, was when you saw the size and length of Carl Anthony Towns and Robert Covington attacking the point of attack. And that's powerful. That can be a weapon. And it was something that was new and still looked good and still looked powerful. So I think you will see Covington. Well, and if you want to answer your question, time you'll see a defensive coordinator who says, "This is our middle linebacker. This is our guy who puts up a wall here at the top of at the top of the offense or the defense in this case." And and Cat is there as the second line of defense. Who Cat uh, is undisciplined in a lot of different things. He's big, and when you don't ask him to think too much in the midst of a possession, he's more than fine as as a defender. And so I think that's what they do: is they they grab onto Covington, grab on, gravitate onto Towns, and say,
2: control the point of attack. To be fair, you hear that with almost any athlete: that the the best players, the players that are best coached, think the less, the least, at least mm-hmm. when they're on the court, you know, in the game. Kats just got a busy mind too. Yeah. He does. Like different people are different. And I, th- but I, I think when I look at a big picture, they just need systems that work, and they need to almost remove, in some ways, like the human element. Meaning, obviously, it's people teaching people. It'll be players, and there will be emotions in the game. But if you can kind of control those and just be like, "Look, we talked through this process. You practice this a hundred times. You know, stay within the system." I think it's actually more, it's easier to do when you have multiple people doing that rather than Tibbs. And it seemed like Tibbs' approach was kind of. You know, he was like pressing the buttons almost. trying and to, And that it to work. didn't work for Kat. And the, the best example
1: you have of that, again, because I went through and I looked at the offensive rating with Kat or the defensive rating, I'm sorry, with Kat on the floor with him versus with him off the floor. And the first year Thibodeau was there and he tried to just say, here we go. We're running a drop scheme and we're doing it. We're doing it exactly this way. We got Ricky Rubio or Chris Dunn at the point of attack. And Kat, you're the tentpole of the defense. It's your job to read and react. You know what the difference was? It was 9.7 points per 100 possessions better when Cat was off the floor. That's massive. Massive. That's massive. They were 111.4 points per 100 possessions with Cat on the floor, which is a bad defense, and 101.7 with him off the floor. Sorry, the first one was him on the floor. Yeah, yeah. So they
3: they stunk with him on the floor, and they were actually good with him off the floor. So, And it's worth noting that those numbers in general have jumped. That 101 defensive rating this year would have been like number one in the NBA. Yeah. Um, but a few years ago it wasn't.
1: Right. And it's just that that scheme did not work. So again, to, to, to your question, Tom, if, you have a, if you're trying to hire a coach, a, a defensive coordinator to say that's saying, we should stick with the drop scheme. I think Cat can, can learn this and we, and we can get better at it. For me, I will go, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, don't do that. We have tons of evidence that Cat's bad at that. And then my second piece of evidence would be turn on a playoff game that doesn't work in the playoffs. Milwaukee, that's the basically, I mean, that, that was it. That's been the, the one issue really for them is figuring out ways to defend with Brooke Lopez. Cause that's how they defended the whole year during the regular season. And they had to change it. They've had to change it in the playoffs. I mean, it is an epidemic of a problem when you have your center, that is a, a big part of your team to be running a drop scheme. It's the same thing with Portland Portland in the the Golden State series. They could not do anything against Golden State because they're playing a big center who cannot get out and aggressively handle the point of attack, which is very hard to do with Steph Curry, but it's just I don't get it. I don't get why teams commit to that during the regular season at all other than the sense where they go, that's the easiest thing to do with a big seven-footer. If
3: they're really smart.
1: If they're really smart. Yeah. I think and it's even then it doesn't work in the playoffs. Even then.
3: Yeah. A yeah. lot of the time. No, totally. And it's interesting to your point of Carl Anthony towns performing better when he can kind of act on his instincts a little bit, or at least act on his gifts, his athleticism, because when you think yeah, about, I like
1: gifts more than instincts
3: gifts. Yeah. Cause he
1: got weird with instincts. one year year two. That's, so. that's true. <laughs> yeah.
3: I know. I was actually parsing through that in my mind yeah. while I was saying it too. Like what's that? anyways, If you're going to drop, you need to be really smart. That's why we see Brook Lopez. He's not a freak athlete. And surrounded by smart defenses, also. Exactly, which the the Wolves are getting closer in that regard. Mm -hmm. But if you're going to start blitzing pick and rolls, that's going to allow Carl Anthony Towns to just rely on his gifts and just be athletic and just be disruptive. And I, I, I think we've seen in the past that he can be better at that and that the ceiling with him doing that is much higher. I completely agree. To the to the offense, the offensive element
1: of how you we want to see this team coached to a coaching hire, I think it it's it's worth talking about. And what I'm really curious, I wish I could have been a fly in the wall for what the conversations between Ryan Saunders and Gerson Rosas were about. Okay, Ryan, so you came in and you said you wanted to make a plan of playing faster, shooting, and shooting more threes, and though that didn't happen. Why? Yeah. And I, I think Ryan would probably admit some fault. That I was a little overzealous in, in going for that. But what, what, do you, what do you think that conversation would go like? And what do you think Rosas, how do you think Rosas would assess the way that this team played
3: offense last year? I think, I think Rosas, look, I know the injury thing gets overblown, but there was a period of time when Jared Bayless was this team's starting point guard and that shooting a lot and shooting a lot and that really matters and that really has got to make like life difficult on a coach I genuinely don't think there could have been that good of an answer from Ryan that's just that's just that's your opinion and that that's no yeah, yeah yeah that's my opinion but that is just a taint on his resume is that he explicitly laid out these goals that he had for the team and they fundamentally didn't achieve them and I think some of it he he, like you're saying, just should have thought it out better before. Like if he was gonna say, he knew that he needed to run the offense more through towns, mm-hmm. and the way the Wolves' offense and he was, did that. Yep, and the way the Wolves' offense was set up last year meant that that probably had to mean Cat getting more post ups, like deep post ups back to the basket, and he had to do that, or the or the fan base would have rioted, and I would have rioted. Um,
2: I do want to see that. To be fair, yeah, you're riding me, rioting?
3: Yes. All right. Well,
2: make me mad. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Um, so he had to do that. That I do think was like number one, like give the ball to Cat and let's see what that means. But if he would have maybe thought that out a little bit more, he would have realized, hmm, if I'm going to to give the ball to Cat and the post a ton, we're not going to play faster, and there's a decent chance we won't shoot more threes. So I think to your point, he should have thought that out better before he was so aggressive and explicit with those goals with the media. But when Gerson Rosas asked him that question, I just I can't imagine how the answer could have gone. Besides, as you said, I was too overzealous, and there were just a, a plethora of injuries that made me adjust my scheme. I think so. F- for me, and that that's like a, and you say it, of the media and we're asked. I mean, I asked Ryan about it.
1: 20 times. Yeah. Over the, over the course of the, just because I thought it was an interesting baseline to start with of what he said was going to happen. I mean, no, particularly with Tibbs, it was like, whoa, you're like telling us yeah. what you're planning on doing. So I like kind of latched onto that. And then, you know, over the course of watching games, I just kept being like, all right, this doesn't look faster. The total of the three point percent that it isn't going up and why, and why, and why, I, you know, I kept, I kept thinking about that and asking about that and, you know, figuring out the balance and, I think now with all the data of a full season, you know, put together, I, I think in retrospect, I might've been harsh, harsher on that, or, or personally just stuck to it a little bit too much because I was like, you're not playing faster. But the reality of the situation was yes. Tibbs had already got the team playing fast and that's just like the defensive thing. Tibbs had changed. Tibbs had changed this, this season. The 40 games he coached, he had the Timberwolves playing at the 13th fastest pace in the NBA. If you measure that in terms of the length of possession, it was 14.3 seconds. And when Ryan took over, it slowed down It dropped to 15th at 14.5 seconds per possession. So it did get slower, longer possessions, however you want to define that. But here's the thing is even those 14.5 seconds was a massive jump in playing faster from the previous season under Thibodeau, where the Wolves were the fifth slowest team in the NBA. seconds per possessions. So they did, they didn't play faster than Thibodeau was having a play in 2018, 19, but under Ryan, they played way faster than they did the previous season. So it's like, it, it, it needs some context there. And I think that one, that element of it. And what I put in my, my piece is I think, I think roses sees that as excusable. Like we'll see that. All right. You, you, didn't, you said you were going to play faster, and you didn't. It's excusable. One, because you were already playing pretty fast, and two, because you lost a lot of the guys who make you play fast. Mm-hmm. So I don't think that's necessarily the dark mark to put on Ryan's resume. The three-point shooting, I would say, is uh, when we're talking about the offense because on a really simple level, it, it ha- what happened was the players who are worse at shooting threes percentage wise, like the Josh Okogies, um, like the Tyus Joneses, started shooting more threes after Ryan took over. Whereas the best for the best three point shooter on the team, Carl Anthony Towns, started shooting a lesser percentage of his shots from three. And that that is something Ryan should be held accountable for, whether it's by the media or by the or by Rosas himself, because that doesn't it that's hard That's hard to make sense of and suggests that you weren't able to execute your plan in the way you want it to. Yes, Cat was very good for you in the post. He had the over the 42 games, uh, Ryan Saunders coached the only player in the NBA who had shot a better field goal percentage in post-up situations was Kevin Durant. Cat was a beast on the block. But it came too much at the expense of him shooting threes because even at the Tibbs rate, like Cat should have been shooting more. Mm-hmm. He's he's so proven that he's an over 40% three point shooter. And when you have that in your five, you gotta find a way to do that more. And and I think Ryan, I think Ryan missed the mark there. So again, what I put in my piece here is I don't think Rosas views that as ex, as excusable, but he would view it as correctable. Mm-hmm. Particularly with that alignment that they've talked about, where it's like we're gonna put Rosas is going to put forth a vision for how he wants to play. And Ryan is like the connection and implementation of that. So does that make sense? Yeah.
3: That that you see that? No, I think that's really interesting. And to give the three-point shooting thing is hard because the roster changed so much. And almost like as Ryan took over... You go from Robert Covington, who is, besides Carl Anthony Towns, is he your best three-point shooter? Yeah. Yeah. So you go from Robert Covington to literally the, the person who, when Covington got hurt, absorbed almost all of his minutes was Josh Okogie. So you go from your your best high-volume three-point shooter to your worst in the in the starting lineup in playing that major role. And that's huge. But I do agree with your point on Carl Anthony Towns. I think it's going to be a battle between him and his mindset. And basically to, to say it simply the the TNT halftime crew, who's telling him that he can't <laughs> shoot eight. I'm serious. Yeah, no, yeah. They was saying, don't shoot eight threes a game, you know, pound the block, pound the block. And I don't have any problem with Carl Anthony Towns shooting eight and a half threes a game and doing it at a 37% clip. I think that would be awesome.
1: But, but which is, and that's only eight and a half shots. Yeah, and we him exactly. to take twenty. So exactly. it's not like increasing his three point volume does not mean deleting the post up game. Yep, because again, cat of high volume post up guys is the best at that in the NBA, and that so that that should happen. We shouldn't just completely delete that from the game and have him go all Brook Lopez and just sit out there and and bomb threes. Like no, it's a it's a balance. And Ryan talked about that today too and said that that's you know that's what we're gonna find and. You find that through playing with more floor spacing and just just opening things up a little more. The difficulty is, is it, it inherently it's difficult to do when your best player is a seven-footer. Because that the game of basketball naturally inverts towards your tallest player, particularly when they're, they're that big. So it does, it's gonna require more creativity with CAT to unleash him and to have him play this more efficient game than it did for James Harden. Mm -hmm. Like for James Harden, it was just like, I I mean, it was pretty simple. Step
2: back. (laughs) No, I mean, it was, it was, it was
1: was high pick and rolls and finding ways that he can get out of that. Like with cat, there's going to be different. Like he's going to need to post up. He's going to need to operate from the high post, which we saw him start doing a little more during the season where he can, be a screener where he can step back for, to shoot threes, where he can create from the, from the free throw line. You're going to need to see that. And then you're just going to need to see him willingly bomb threes. Yeah. Like a lot. Like, like drop tra- your three-point percentage. Shoot too much.
3: Yeah. and Those trailer threes yeah. in transition. Shoot four of those a game.
1: And he, he's hesitant to do that right now. And I yeah. think when we talk about like change manifestation, like that, that's going to be something we're going to see. And I think you're going to see it in Andrew Wiggins too. I don't I don't know. I'm not don't necessarily believe he can shoot a way higher percentage from anywhere, but I think he can shoot less from the places that he's worse at. Yeah. And it was it was interesting today when when Ryan was talking about the playing playing with more space so as to eliminate isolation situations. So what I asked was I go was it in the that Andrew was getting so many isolation situations that he was taking so many mid-range jump shots. And he said, yes, because yeah, that was that. Then acknowledge it as a problem because it wasn't his highest percentage shot. And he goes, really, you only need to fall back to those, those mid-range shots. If it's the end of the quarter, end of a game, unless you're, you're an elite, you know, yeah. elite player from that range, like a Kevin Durant or a Kawhi Leonard. So that's the first time I've ever really heard him call a spade, a spade and be like, yeah, we acknowledge that we were giving Andrew too many isolation situations, which led to too many mid-range jump shots, which he also acknowledges is not a good shot for him. So if he, if a big change doesn't come from Andrew Wiggins in shot selection,
3: I would be shocked. And I think that's good to hear from Ryan because as he was hired, um, his background in analytics, however – real that is was talked about a lot and so it's good to hear him say something like that's not andrews just say it cuz he didn't always say it last year that's not andrews most efficient shot we should veer away from that because it will make our team better and he said to
1: rather than talking about shot selection he talked about running actions using an offense that highlights his strengths cuz it's not like andrew is without strength it's the it's the length mm-hmm. and it's the athleticism so what are what is the scheme that you can put together that not only highlights cat, but puts Wiggins in those best situations. And that Tom, that is when you're going through and you're trying to hire an offensive coordinator, like they need to put that all over the whiteboard and, and mark that all out because that is, that's what unleashes this offense further.
2: I I think the interesting thing um, with Ryan is that he did get to sit on the bench and like an educated person, basketball fan kind of thing so you're like i could have done this differently right and in some ways could implement it but with the same personnel except more injured i guess um and probably learn the limitations of if i if i really move wiggins away from his game which might be necessary over the course of time i might just kill his confidence or just lose him like i may become you know an empty voice in the locker room and if you know i force like Tolliver, for example to chuck up threes and he's missing them, even a player, a veteran play like that, confidence is probably inevitably going to drop. And I think probably one of his better qualities is it seems like he had it in his head academically of what I would, what he would change, knew the limitations with all the roster stuff, but also made adjustments that, that like someone who's simply just writing it out on paper, studying the film, kind of doing it like you play 2K. Right, like in a vacuum. One, like and, and I think the the hard thing with Tibbs is, like, he I, you hear him on ESPN, you're like, this dude knows so much about basketball. And, like, it's fascinating how much information he can kind of spit at you at once during a highlight or whatever. When you talk to him, you know, after a practice, you're like, he certainly has thought it all out. And, like, he had success with it in Chicago. And it's a lot of the same personnel as, you know, famously about all the timber Timberwolves here. But it's weird that – I mean, in some ways, I guess it makes sense that he was older and was kind of stubborn. But it's also interesting that Ryan, who you think – a lot of people who think like Ryan are very stubborn people, and they're like, no, 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 my input's are all correct, and I don't know why I'm not getting the outputs. Mm-hmm. And um, I just think it was a process for
1: I, – I don't think Ryan got much input when Tibbs was here as the coach. And I think, one, that would just inherently be frustrating. And then Ryan had the opportunity – as the head coach to impart whatever he wanted. But then the frustration doubled down in the sense that all of his players had become so molded, like into Thibodeau style. Yeah,
2: you can't, you, that's the training camp stuff that mm-hmm. you have to fix, right? You can't just fix that on the fly.
1: I just feel like that would be really frustrating. As you're talking about, like, yeah, Ryan's been thinking about basketball and like plotting out in his head, what he would want to do differently. Yeah. He he had been for, for years. And that's, that's only natural.
3: And then he had the opportunity to do things differently and struggled to do so. Yeah. And and now, like you said, he, I don't think he had much input. And now he's going to have a, a ton of input, presumably from from Gerson Rosas and whoever they hire to be the rest of his staff. But to go back to the point of maximizing Towns and Wiggins and how that offense could work, I think a, a natural comparison is the Denver Nuggets offense. But I also think... It can be apt. I think it will be interesting to see whether the Timberwolves choose to use cat further away from the basket during his post-ups and, you know, maybe he can face up more and then that allows him, because he's such a good face-up player, he can either shoot or take just about anyone who's guarding him off of the dribble. That opens up and then you you presumably would implement more motion around him so that players like Dario Saric and players like Deng, if he's back, and maybe Andrew Wiggins, if he improves, can, can find easy buckets that way and you can generate offense that way. But what's more then you'd have double teams coming over to cover cat in the post because like you said, he's the best post player in the world. And then you can just have getting the ball to Andrew Wiggins with the defender closing out on him more so that he can attack the basket because it should be threes. Or if the closeout is there, you run by him and you try to either get fouled or get a shot up next to the rim. I think just what
1: people might be thinking as we talk about, you talk about this is like, that makes a lot of sense. Why didn't that happen last year? And I, I mean, you can go both ways with it, like the no the no training camp or Ryan didn't effectively implement it. And, and I, I think it's probably a little bit of both. But I don't think we should sleep on the fact that they're going to start putting this in place now. Mm-hmm. And so even if Ryan isn't excellent at implementing this stuff, if they start establishing habits now of like, this is what you should be doing, Kat, this is what you should be doing, Wiggins, We're just, we have a whole better process for the offense. I would just be really surprised if it doesn't, if it doesn't, if if they're just being smarter, I don't understand how it won't be a lot better next year. Yeah. Offensively. And yeah, they have, they don't have a ton of weapons. They're not gonna be a great team next year, but they have enough to at least offensively be super dynamic.
3: Yeah. And I think there's some human nature thing in there where Tom Thibodeau was, a borderline unique coach, at least very unusual <laughs> in in how he interacted with his players. And there was this constant looking over your shoulder every time you goof up and this constant like waiting to be berated whether you felt like you did something wrong or not. And then to have that so abruptly shift during the middle of the season when you've already had all this turmoil happen with Jimmy Butler and you're already kind of out of the playoff picture, and now you've got this new coach who's who's way cooler, but you just – you just had this this curmudgeon and now he's gone and it's this weird transition and there are all these voices in your ears and I can at least imagine on a human level how that would be difficult and you have these these systems in your body so ingrained because you were afraid of how Tom Thibodeau would react if you screwed up. It's got to be hard to just, on a dime, from game, what, 40 to 41, just shift and say, I'm not going to think that way anymore. I'm not going to act that way anymore. So while I am very... Like, wouldn't Andrew switching that for the Oklahoma City be, like, the perfect example of it, but then it couldn't sustain? Yeah, yeah, no, that is a
1: great like example. Like, it, it's... Those lights were in there to, to turn on and to... You know, to, to to delete a lot of the wear and tear of of Tibs, but I I think I think it was just hard to sustain given everything that happened. Um, I don't know if it's going to be perfect now, but if you start that sustainment now, it it seems like it's something that could work. I do want to briefly before we wrap up get you in know, just because um, I was at the combine, and I think that's going to kind of be the our next topic of discussion. With this team in general, is the draft, and you know what what is going to happen with the eleventh pick uh, last week? I guess it was you and I, Charlie, talked about how we could see. Or I guess I was more so along the lines of I could see that pick being traded, mm-hmm. and you were you were more so thinking like odds are they just they just draft there. And I I guess I want to say and just after putting more time in, into looking into this. And kind of assessing what the players are that should be falling in that range. I feel even more confident that like a movement could come
3: with that pick. I will admit that I've come more toward your stance on that, especially well, gi- <laughs> especially given what, what Rosas has said about it. He's explicitly said with regard to the draft, like we'll look at trading down, we'll look at trading up, and I don't think that's nothing. like on some level, it's, obviously yeah, yeah. you're going to do that, but I don't think it's nothing to go out and say that to the press. so and I have more started to become more firm in my belief that I think he's going to try and be aggressive. And so I think that can translate to the graph to I, the to the draft, excuse me.
1: I was just in with the other members of the media today, and we just we were just kind of like, "Oh, this is going to be the last thing of the you know big thing of the summer, like the off season probably isn't going to be all that wild. They just have so many guys under contract, they're so financially pinched, and I just and I don't know, maybe this is wishful thinking for me talking into existence, like I am not ruling out them finding a way to just crack things open and get weird yeah I, I i really do i really i mean if you want if you want to start putting together a full on systematic change of your team you have a lot of players who don't want to change or it'll be very difficult to change like there is an argument to be made and to sacrifice assets and Picks and you don't know, lose a little bit on the margins so as to put together a roster next year that is going to look like and play like more like more so play like what you what you want to see this team doing for the next three to five years like i don't know i i, I saw the logic in tibbs kind of taking that first year and Assessing everything out and they weren't they weren't really active. They were so young. They were so young. Like it's different now. Yeah. I I, I don't know. It it's harder. It's harder to be aggressive. Like they could have been aggressive that first Tibbs year because they had the cap space and they had the stuff. But now they're pinched, but it's like you gotta I don't know. I, I could see them. I could Roces see Russes is aggressive. a
3: really smart dude and he took this job and he evaluated the roster and I I'm going to assume that he came to the same conclusion that I have that this core as constructed right now cannot become a championship caliber team. And if he did come to that conclusion, then he has to get weird. It has to have been his his goal to get weird and change this up because he didn't take it going like but, All right. Like that's going to let's build mediocrity. That is 100% going to come eventually. Yeah.
1: Like he cuz yes, he absolutely does not believe that this is a championship core. So you got it. You got to make change. Why maybe wait? maybe a month, a couple months from now is too fast, but I would not rule it out. And I would expect when we're back here doing a, the Wolves just got eliminated from the playoffs or didn't make the playoffs podcast. We're talking about serious change coming like time, time yeah. to go and put it in there in really in motion. What, what your, what your plan is, but that can start now that can start now if you're creative enough, if you're smart enough, if you're willing to make some sacrifices, you can crack it open now. And I'm I'm not ruling it out.
2: It's worth mentioning that you know, you've used this context for Gorgie Jang, the, the contracts that were given out kind of at that time. If I have the timing right, if Tibbs had like gone crazy in that first year, it actually would have been monumentally worse because I think totally. that would have been bringing the summer in ga- of 2016. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. And in some ways we were like, ah, like. This wild guy actually kind of showed some restraint. Probably the only time he really did it, like, at that scale. Um this, this is different, though, because you have, A, we know what the market is kind of more, but, B, you have natural restraints. There's just, like, there isn't the cap space, and you have to move players and all this. I could see it either way. I've seen... um not to use another crossword comparison, but wild fans would tell you, hey, it's not great that the guy just came in here and made a lot of bad trades and ripped up the core that way. But I think you could also, it, Rosas maybe is just capable of flipping a Wiggins and uh, kind of what you said, kind of cracking this opening and getting weird. Maybe he is capable and it's a different league and all that of maybe the back of his head when he's taking the job, he's like, I can do this. I know trades that could happen. Mm-hmm. I know people in the league. Who would or at least have an idea of like what yeah, the yeah, market might yeah, be yeah, yeah, yeah. to...
1: Yeah to make like just to understanding of like, yeah, I think like Jeff Teague's worth 19 million and that's more than he's worth, but maybe we can find something in between there or that a year from now we can figure out something with Gorgie Jang or if we package a, a Dario and this and that, like he so much more than we do has a, a excellent idea of what all these players market value is and, and what they can realistically get with 6 million of the middle level exception versus 9 million, of the middle level exception. Like, I think, I think if there is a path to get aggressive, he will. And that is kind of to be determined. The one thing they definitely have is the 11 pick. I'm going to talk about Brandon Clark a little bit because um, a lot of people who I will admit are much smarter than me uh, on the draft have have really uh you know put their force behind Brandon Clark. And uh it's bizarre to me. So I want to talk about it. Uh I just
3: What'd you think about him? You got to spend some time with him.
1: Yeah, I got I got to talk to a super cool guy. It's like one of those situations where it's, I, I talk every single podcast of this about tra- trading Jeff Teague. Jeff Teague's one of my favorite people to talk to in the Timberwolves locker room. So I am I am definitively viewing these things as chess pieces, not as people. Every person I talk to is like, oh, Wolves should, Wolf should take Brandon Clark here. And again, they're smarter than me, but it makes so little sense in my mind to draft another big who we have a really good idea is going to struggle shooting. He said explicitly when I, like, about his jump shot that just a year ago it was pretty much broken and he was shooting it from the side of his head. He said he's improved it, but he's been working on it a ton. Um, but that's like such a major red flag for me, given what the rest of this roster is. And particularly given that Josh Akogi is on the team, it's I think to draft Brandon Clark would be to be drafting a bigger Josh Kogi in a, in a different position, which is like a pretty good, a good at, a, at a lot of things. Um, but I don't know. Like if Clark can only kind of be a paint bound big, like didn't we learn a little bit with Justin Patton? I'm mean, not I even talking about the injuries, but didn't we learn with Justin Patton that there just wasn't a lot of room for another big to play. Didn't we learn with Gorgie Jang that, there's just not a lot of yeah. minutes to be had. You have Dario Saric. I, I struggle to get it, and I'm sorry if somebody's listening to this and, like, you're very firmly believe in Brandon Clark. You've probably watched more of him than I have. But By the way,
2: strong opinions on Brandon Clark. Like strong when opinions. You, when you tweet, it's Dude, like boom, boom, boom right? from both well, sides. Yeah. It's, and, like, and that's fine. That's what the draft's about. Like, it's about having this conversation.
1: I'm just asserting that my side of the conversation is, I think, looking at the Timberwolves roster, You're gonna draft at 11. It's even if Brandon Clark is the best player available, you take. It's really worth considering taking the best creator available because this team needs wings and this team needs ball creation a lot more. So I know you kind of echo me here, Charlie, but back me up to an an angry listener.
3: (laughs) No, no, no. I think it's. I think one interesting thing about Brandon Clark is the variance. I saw today on the Athletic he was mocked at 18th to the Pacers and I've seen him mocked as high about as about 6 and I think that makes sense when you look at his combination of skills and then like lacking measurables. So it's interesting and I am uh, of the full belief that you draft the best player available and if the Timberwolves have a scouting department that says, "No, this guy is going to be a shooter and this guy is going to be able to shoot this year." Sure. And, and if they do that, then I can see it. I can see that he could be the perfect perfect four next to Cat if he can develop a thorough, thorough Because he's awesome defensively. Because he's awesome defensively and he's an awesome help defender. He's an awesome team defender. He's not just a lockdown guy. He's not just a rim protector. He's Mm -hmm. the kind of guy who is going to help the Timberwolves defend the pick and roll better. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that makes sense on some level if he's if he's just your hands down, he's the guy and we believe he's going to be a shooter. Sure, go go get him. But that seems difficult to project, and get, especially because he's, he sucks as a shooter. And as you said, close up at the combine, his shot didn't look very good. No. So it, it, it's just difficult to project that. And so if you're not absolutely sold on his fit, on him being head and shoulders above who else is available, then there is just, I, Darius Arch is going to start next year. There is a good chance that Robert Covington plays five minutes a game at the small ball four. I mean, there's just not much of an upside unless you're trading Sarge mm-hmm. or whatever it is. Yeah.
1: And I'd be willing to, to re-look into that if the roster champ, if a Kogi or Sarge wasn't there, because yeah. Sarge is kind of in the way in the sense that he's another big and a is kind of in the way as he's another non-shooter. Um, but as this roster is is constructed, yeah, I just I have I have serious serious concerns about that. And I don't – I just think this this is hopefully your last lottery pick for a while, right? Hopefully. Like hopefully. I, I don't know. I mean I think if you're Rosas, you're sitting there or I don't know. Maybe you have a you know, 12, 13, 14 next year, something like that. Um, but it's one of the, your last big bullets you can fire. And an interesting quote Rosa said today, he goes, to be a playoff team – in the NBA, you need to be top 10 on on offense and on defense. And to be a championship contender, you need to be top 5 on offense and on defense. And some somebody out here who, who would argue for Brandon Clark would say, yo, your team is so far away from top 10 defensively. Like, draft the best defender. Like, that will boost you up. That's fair. Drafting Brandon Clark and him developing into a good defender would help move this team up. But I believe... If your core, key tenants of your core become Cat, Okogi, Clark, Wiggins, Covington, like I, I don't think you are going to be able to do that top five offensively.
3: No, that sounds so and far from today's NBA.
1: I, I just, I just think there's other paths to address the defense, and with the draft, I, I, I think you, you go a little bit more need with this team, which sounds weird as a thirty. Six thirty-seven win, win team, but considering considering what's here and just how also, desperate what, they are for shooting.
2: That's a weird record because, like, so much goes into that, right? Mm-hmm. The Jimmy Butler, the oh, coaching yeah, change, yeah. like, so. It, I think I th- like in my mind they don't have to do a ton to be the eight seed. It's whether they want to like really overhaul and be like, could we get hired there? You know what I mean? I th- I think there's that number's not what 36 normally would represent. But yeah.
3: I think that's it. to your, to your one, one last bullet point. I think that is, is huge. This could be their last bullet and they need to hit a bullseye if, if they want to really take a big jump. And if you, I don't totally agree with your assessment on picking fit. If he's head and shoulders above the next person, you, you take him and you deal with it, but the wolves need another star and you've got a chance at the 11th pick to draft a star. It seems unlikely that a forward who struggles to dribble, struggles to create, and struggles to shoot can can become your star. 6'8 wingspan, too. Like, if we want to get into that,
1: and you talk about guys who massively exceed their defensive expectations, like, I think Clark will be good defensively.
3: Totally. He will.
1: I agree. I, I, I do. But he does not have a Robert Covington wingspan. He does not have a Pascal Siakam wingspan. He does not have a I mean, the guys who massively exceed expectations as defenders have huge wingspans, and that was a point... That somebody a lot smarter than me, you know, told me at the draft as, you know, a cautionary tale for Brandon Clark, who is also 207, which is really light. Yeah. So, but if you want Pearl Clark, you want some fodder. I heard I, I really enjoyed my talking to him. Uh, we talked he's from Canada, talked about Andrew Wiggins and this and that. I mean, seems like a really good guy. And as far as a person goes, like off the court, all, all of that every single person I asked about Brandon Clark was like maybe the best person in, in the whole job. And I think that stuff matters too. Totally. Particularly when you're trying to put together this whole new identity and culture, like someone who's going to come in and like accept this, that this is their job. And I, I think Brandon Clark would do that. I'm just skeptical about, uh, about the three point shooting. We good for today. Yes. i good. I'm we? no longer excited.
2: No, sleepy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm hungry.
1: Um, all right. We, uh, I don't know. I, I literally say this every week and it's stupid, but it's like, are are we done? Are we done with, like, the the, the influx of Timberwolves news? Like, I, I think so
3: now, right? <laughs> like uh, Assistant coaches? Assistant coaches, yeah. Layden? The, I think Layden's sticking around. Are they going to announce that, or will it just happen? He was there today. He'll just show up. Well, is he just the, – they don't need to announce anything. I mean, he's an employee, but do you think they will make an announcement? Oh, they have
1: to. They have to, like – Oh, announce something. that he's staying? Yeah. Uh he that uh, or it'll be reported in some that that whatever the change of his role is or something. Sure, sure. That, um, yeah, I think it's. I think things will, will settle down a little bit more. It only took us until the NBA Finals, basically. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I, I would just. I wrote a big whole thing that has a ton of quotes from from today's press conference with Gerson Rosas and Ryan Saunders, and if you're the type of person who has, like me has been wanting to know more about the B element of the president of basketball operations. I learned a bunch about that today and was, uh, tried to extrapolate um, quickly the things that they, they said into, you know, what happened last, uh, last year. So take a look uh, on that at that. It's own com, and we'll have, we'll have more on, on the draft coming up too. So, so I got rate and review Dane's podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I got to say that. Yeah, rate and view it. Do it. Uh, <laughs> Subscribe. <laughs> I'm Dane Moore, uh, Tom Schreier, Charlie Johnson. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week. Peace out.
0: Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop.